thanks for downloading this episode from Teachers Talk Radio. You can find the full schedule and listen back to all our shows at ttradio.org. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, leading publishers of books, directories, educational guides and magazines aimed at schools in the UK and beyond. Enjoy the podcast. Good evening and welcome to Teachers Talk Radio. A very happy holidays to all of the teachers out there listening to Teachers Talk Radio. It's been quite a busy couple of days. We've been recruiting all of these new hosts um, who you're going to be hearing very, very soon. Um, But for now, for the next 90 minutes, you're going to hear from one of our longest standing hosts, a true delight, going to be talking about a fantastic subject, which is teaching history at primary level. So without further ado, here's Lucy. What a delightful introduction from the lovely Tom Hopkinsberg there. Lovely to hear from you. And uh, I know you'll be listening very closely as a secondary history teacher um, to this evening's proceedings. So hopefully um, you will be impressed with what's to follow. <laughs> so good evening, edgy folk. I'm back with you. It's me, Lucy Newberger. It's Tuesday, I think. <laughs> it's the late show. And Thank you to anyone joining this evening, because I appreciate it is school holidays for the vast majority of us and for me as well. And what's quite exciting is that I'm actually home in the UK for once. So it's quite nice to to be sort of in the same vicinity as, well, many of, I know we have listeners across the world, but I know the vast majority of you are in the UK. I'm sitting in lovely Tunbridge Wells, looking out the window from home into a lovely sunset. And uh, it's good to be here. It's good to good to uh check in with the with the family and all the rest of it so that has been really nice um this evening we are going to get stuck into talking about primary history and hopefully my lovely guest will be joining us shortly now when he does join us just be very aware that it's number one bless him it's his birthday today and i did not realize this until about an hour ago and number two he's also struggling with tonsillitis so we're going to see and i did say to him that if he really could not talk to me this evening then you know not to worry at all but um if it does look like he is going to be joining us so hopefully Hopefully he will appear momentarily. I'm just actually in the throes of making sure he is still able to join us and that he is still he is still with us. So let's see. But before we get stuck into this evening's proceedings, as is tradition, I'm going to just regale you with, well, what's been going on in life, really. I mean, we've all made it to the end of another term. I feel like This half was actually quite short. I don't know about you. I only had five weeks this time around. But my gosh, did we cram a lot in at school. We had another round of reports to do because at my school, someone had the brilliant idea of doing three a year, which seems excessive to me. It does seem excessive, but that's that's what we do. And so we were busy writing comments and making sure that you know, they uh, have the correct child's name in because I am that person who has sent a report out before with the wrong child's name on it. And it wasn't even close. It wasn't even like I'd kind of done a a Josh for John or something like that. It was, I think it was a uh, something like um, a Simon for a Joao or something like that. It was, yeah, it was quite far removed from (laughs) what it should have been. So, yes. 
Oh, I can see that admin's got their hand up. Hello, admin. I want to know whether you've been using ChatGPT to write any of your reports. No, do you know what? I didn't. I didn't cheat. And I, I kind of wish I had just to see if I'd got away with it because we have to hand comments in to get checked before um, before they can be put into the correct platform and all the rest. It's quite, quite a performance. But I think for the summer round, I'm going to give it a crack and see if I, I get away with it. Um, HB, have you tried this out yet for reports or have you not dared? We don't have to write reports. Oh, well... For you. We're not the international sector. All we have to do is give a score for effort out of four, a score right. for behaviour out of four, um, homework concern, yes or no, and then a predicted grade at the end of year 11. Oh, okay. Uh, so, okay, fair enough. I mean, I suppose given the number of students that you teach at secondary level as well, if you were having to do that three times a year, you'd never get anything else done. So, uh, yes, it's, uh, it is quite a performance to have to do. And coupled with that, we have three parents evenings a year as well. So it is quite a lot of uh, life admin, but we, we get through it. Anyway, enough about that. What else has been going on? Uh, we've done all sorts of things. I went on a school trip recently on a on a lovely caravella, something I've done before. Uh, we didn't actually set sail because as much as year five are, are good fun and quite animated, I don't think I'd trust them on the on the open water. And I did say to them, truthfully if any of you fall in into the harbour I'm not fishing you out so kindly please do not fall into the harbour and none of them did so that was a result and then we did some much needed team building and team building games but I always feel on school trips and I don't know about the rest of you that I turn into kind of madam drill sergeant and because uh, we, we also invite parents to come with us on these trips you know two or three at a time not everybody because that would be horrendous but two or three just to kind of kind of help out. And uh, to be fair, they're normally they're normally great. But they I do say to them every time and it's kind of become a running joke that I feel like they see the worst side of me because it's because it's you're out and about. It's it's child safety, isn't it? It's all these things, whether it's, you know, crossing a road, whether it's kind of not wandering off too far, sitting down whilst they're having lunch, things like that. And I said, you know, all you, all you hear is kind of sit down. No, don't do that. And most of them just say, no, 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 we completely understand. And quite honestly, it gives us an insight into, you know, what you're dealing with on a daily basis. So it's some 99% of the time that is the response you get. So we've done all that. And now it's kind of, a slide into the summer term and I always feel and I probably shouldn't confess this as a teacher but I confess many things to you so I feel this is not going to be news to you that the first maybe half of the summer term and I know that in the UK you obviously get the the kind of May June half term we don't get that in the international well certainly not not in Portugal but but <laughs> and this is the bit where you're all going to absolutely hate me I do finish for the academic year on the 30th of June this year. So eh, not getting a May half term is maybe not not the worst thing in the world. Uh, so, you know, swings and roundabouts. So, yes, we do have, I think it's maybe nine, ten weeks between, you know, the start of the next term and our next break. But given that from the 30th of June until the 1st of September, we are free i can't can't really whinge on that one but i do feel yeah the first half is kind of productive and then the second half is uh well we have a lot of public holidays in portugal and um then kind of sports days and things sort of take over a bit and i'm going on camp again which i will probably talk a lot about in the next few weeks and i'm leading it again so uh yeah lots of fun and games to look forward to in that respect anyway i'm going to uh stop stop 
blathering on about all of that and actually introduce to you what we're talking about this evening. So I've done quite a journey through the primary subjects at this point and probably too many to, to go on a detailed tour through at the moment, but we've certainly gone gone through them. We've looked at maths, we've looked at writing and reading, we've looked at PE, we have done, oh gosh, computing, so many. We've done science, which I still need to come back to because I think that needs another look. And we finally arrived at history, which actually is one of my absolute favourite subjects. It was in school and it's definitely one of my favourite things to teach. But what I want to know this evening is, well, are we doing a good job? And I think many of us probably are, as we've talked about with these primary subjects. And where is, you know, where is the room for improvement or how can we ensure that across our schools, whether it be in the UK, whether it be in schools internationally, are we teaching in the best possible way? Are we, is the, is the curriculum robust enough? Are we, do we have the right skill set? Are we teaching in the, and I don't want to say the correct way, but are we teaching in the best way possible to ensure that these children are equipped with the knowledge and the skills that they need to enjoy history but also to progress it on through across to secondary school and beyond so my guest this evening Stuart is there I can see him and uh, if he would be so kind as to unmute himself he can introduce himself to you and help me go on this journey through primary history good evening to you Stuart how are you doing uh good evening I am not too terrible thank you uh plodding along is my current phrase du jour but there we go and um, many happy returns because it is your birthday today. So thank you so much for being here. And uh, I understand also that uh, I did mention that you're not feeling 100% either. <laughs> it's, uh, it's fine. I am wonderfully prone to tonsillitis. So I can tell you this is not a hideous dose. I've had some pretty shocking bouts of it before, which included me having to phone in sick at quarter to 12 when I was meant to be there at half past 12 saying, I'm really sorry, I'm on a drip. So, Hi. you know. Yeah, so when I said to you earlier, I'm genuinely not too terrible with it. I've got a reasonable level of surety that, uh, yeah, we're nowhere near that stage. <laughs> I mean, you, you sound, for someone who has tonsillitis, you sound, you're coming through beautifully clearly. Well, I've treated myself to a, a birthday present of some new AirPod Pros. Uh, so they, they're pretty good. And uh, I have currently uh anti uh, antiseptic throat spray a million painkillers etc so we are absolutely fine do not worry fantastic well we'll we'll try and kind of keep this sort of to the point i mean i don't know if you've listened to these shows before but they are prone to tangents so do try and you you'll probably be the one <laughs> steering me back into uh, don't hold your breath i am i am well renowned for my ability to tangent when no tangent is seemingly likely so do not you know, it's it's a thing that's probably going to happen from both ends. Well, that is that is great. I think we're gonna we're gonna get along beautifully. But I think first things first. Can you please introduce yourself in as much detail as you'd like to, and your current role in education? Yeah, certainly. So, uh, good evening, uh, people that are listening in. Uh, so, my name is Stuart. I am a primary school teacher by trade, uh, qualified in oh cripes, I think it was either two thousand and nine or two thousand and ten. Take your pick. Um, I uh, did a four-year undergraduate degree in uh, primary education with some degree-level history. So if you think a little bit like a joint honours degree, uh, but not enough credits for it to count in that way, it's probably the easiest way to describe it. 
I have always, always loved history. It has always been my absolute favourite since I was a child. Um, so I've kind of continued to work and develop uh, in that regard, being a history subject lead currently. Um, I have not taught since September because my lovely school in Leeds, um, we couldn't get the days to align up because I'm essentially a bit of an in-house supply teacher who covers uh, various others as and when needed on short-term and long-term uh, placements. And then I deliver training in schools. I um, have just written my first book, which is coming out with Corwin in the summer. I visiting lecture at a couple of skit institutions and my former university. Um, yeah, I can't think of anything else, but uh, there's probably a lot that I've missed as ever. Oh, I sit on the Historical Association's Primary Committee. That's one that I'm especially proud of, so I definitely want to mention that. Oh, brilliant. So a lot, a lot to pack in there. And actually, I've just seen a lovely tweet that's been popped at the top here from our sponsor, John Cat Education. Um, there is a book coming out called What is History Teaching, which is now available to pre-order, apparently. So that's very exciting, along with a lot of other wonderful education-based publications. So if you're looking for something to read over the Easter holidays or just in general, just adding to your CPD collection, do check out all the things that John Cat have to offer. And actually, the whole idea of what history teaching is uh, feeds lovely, beautifully into my first, well, first part of my question, but I can see HB is already itching to, to say something again. Go on, HB. I hate to be a pedant, but the book is called What is History Teaching Now? Oh, so sorry. The, okay, I mean... As your guest will be able to tell you, um, the wonderful E.H. Carr wrote a very famous book in the 1950s <laughs> called What is History? Um, a couple of years ago, um, his, I believe, granddaughter, Helen Carr and Susanna Lipscomb wrote What is History Now? to talk about stuff like the history of racism, queer history, history of faith, history of disability, things like that. And now the wonderful team, Alex Fairlam and Rachel Bald, have now written What is History Teaching Now? So it's basically an ongoing cumulative process. And that's the whole point about history. And this is going to be my, hopefully my final contribution, which is that it's never finished. It's an ongoing dialogue. And the best thing about our subject is that, you know, we continue to stand on the shoulders, shoulders of giants. Oh, Couldn't have said it better myself. Endorsement there from from HB and HB, you can chip in whenever you like. So I'm always I'm always happy to hear from you. So please never never stop chipping in. <laughs> but yes, trust me to get a book title wrong. Well, that's embarrassing, and I do apologise. Moving on. So it does actually put me in a lovely place to start this this whole journey. And sure, I tend to start these by looking at the uh and please don't groan because it's kind of it's a good starting point well it is and it isn't but i thought i would take myself on a little trip along the internet to dig up the history program of study for key stage one and two in england i hasten to add i didn't get uh, any further than that but i feel like it's a it's a good jumping off point and uh i had a trundle through and i mean as always with these curriculum documents i kind of find that they're sort of they're not they're not brilliant. I mean, the history one mercifully is a little bit more expansive than some of the others that, that I've read on my journey through these subjects. And uh, I just wanted to get your thoughts on the sort of the opening statement in the primary curriculum. You can see what you think about this. And it says a high quality history education will help pupils gain a coherent knowledge and understanding of Britain's past and that of the wider world. It should inspire pupils curiosity to know more about the past you'd hope so teaching should equip pupils to ask perceptive questions think critically weigh evidence sift arguments and develop perspective and judgment 
History helps pupils to understand the complexity of people's lives, the process of change, the diversity of societies and relationships between different groups, as well as their own identity and the challenges of their time. So do you feel that that is an accurate description or do you feel that that is sort of a lovely idea more than anything else? Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a place I would have started uh, a conversation like this. I think um, uh, I'm, I'm going to park sentence one for just a minute and just hone in on sentence number two of uh, okay. it should inspire people's curiosity to know more about the past. Um, and I, uh, I'm also going to tap into a bit of what is history now from uh, Helen Carr and uh, Susanna Lipscomb, as um, in that um, they talk about the the fact that you know that you need a way into history, um, uh, and they talk about that it was more than just facts and dates, although they are important. The myth, the magic, the stuff we didn't know, and that's why I think the purpose of study is quite an interesting and useful start point because it's got broad ambitions from which we can construct our own, you know, kind of worldview-laden uh, perspective of the past. As there's no, uh, history has the word story in it, but um, it's probably hist histories is a much more apt term, if that makes sense. Almost oh, definitely. Um, oh, so, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's an interesting start point. Um, the one thing that I find quite interesting that teachers find a little bit challenging is the fact that... Um, it's so broad and it's the same all the way through to the end of year nine, um, at yeah. which point you have specially secondary teachers taking uh, taking over, shall we say, who can look at that and understand what it means in a, a more grand perspective. Whereas a primary school teacher is re currently required to have an in-depth, rigorous knowledge and understanding of uh, every subject. Well, this is it. And I think this is something that we, we have we have discovered um, sort of throughout this this journey. It's we are so often picked, I mean, I say picked on or poked at about our, our subject knowledge. And I feel this is why I, primary teachers are often described as kind of jacks, jacks and jackies of all trades and sort of masters and mistresses of, of none, because it's how could you possibly master, if you like, all, all these subjects to a level where you feel, you know, you could pick up any lesson at any age. You just you just can't can't do that. And with history, I know certainly that I have my my favorite my favorite time periods, which I can absolutely wax lyrical about. I mean, or I feel I can wax lyrical about, and certain areas where I would draw an, an absolute blank, as I think many people many people would. I also find it interesting that some of the another. I mean, there's obviously bullet points throughout this, but the one that caught my eye in particular was. Um, gain and deploy a history a historically grounded understanding of abstract terms and just the, <laughs> and i don't know whether this is because i mean i as someone who now lives abroad who kind of has a an interesting sort of feel about the uk kind of historically politically all the rest of it which we won't go into too much detail about but words like uh empire civilization parliament and peasantry are the kind of the the words that they've gone for i just think i mean obviously it's more expansive than that but i just think that's a, a in a way a very funny collection of of words and i don't know how you feel about that if i was being frivolous and uh, slightly cheeky and possibly a touch naughty i would uh, point out a certain irony that the conservative government put the word peasantry into a curriculum <laughs> but i'll uh, I'll, I'll not go there don't worry i'm uh, that was uh, said very much tongue-in-cheek please don't oh, take that seriously to, you are allowed to absolutely go because that's kind of what i was 
I suppose, poking at in a way. It's the thing about history, um, which is something that's quite difficult when you've got so many other subjects to consider and, you know, think about in various different reflections, is the fact that a, a term does not have a generic meaning. It, it can vary hugely dependent upon when in the past you're choosing to emphasise, which adds a huge layer of complexity to somebody do, who doesn't have that you know, background. A, a primary school teacher's bread and butter is very much maths, English, reading, because, child development, because that's what we spend you know, kind of a lot of the uh, teacher training on. Um, I think one of the uh, n- real difficulty secondary teachers have had with the uh, the new uh, early career teacher framework um, is the fact that it's not domain specific. No, and it's and I'm just sort of looking through again. I just want to touch on. I mean, they it's this is again where where these curriculum documents fall apart for me. The kind of the suggestions, uh, you know, when they talk about you know, well, this is key stage one. The lives of significant individuals, and you've got a list of people from out time. So Elizabeth I, Queen Victoria, Columbus Armstrong. Um, Rosa Parks, Emily Davidson, uh, Davison, I should say, um, and it's just—I mean—you've got not only an enormous time frame there, but also these people are just completely different characters from complete uh, characters, completely different people from different points in time. How do you even begin to decide who you look at, who you maybe don't look at? And then when you sort of hop through into key stage two, and it's saying pupils should be taught about. Stone Age to Iron Age, uh, Roman Empire, uh, Anglo-Saxons and Scots, um, and then it kind of goes on and on and on. Uh, add into that something that's post 1066 as, as well. Again, that is enormous in terms of time, in terms of what you include in those periods of time, what aspects you look at. How do you, how in your mind, do you even begin to unpick that? Um. Are you sure we didn't get a week and a half for this conversation? Because these are a pretty, pretty enormous, wide-reaching uh, questions, shall we say? Not a bad thing yeah. by any stretch of the imagination. Um, the the real difficulty is subject knowledge, because if you don't have that, it's even harder to determine which you know which of the choices is the correct one for you in uh, the in all you know inverted commas. And the fact that even with this suggested content, it's actually there's a lot of nuance. Uh, in there, for example, if we look at key stage one, um, a bit that's often missed is the second sentence of that objective, uh, where it says some should be used to compare aspects of life in different time periods. So you actually have to teach, if you're teaching the national curriculum, you actually have to teach a pair from different time periods and look at how their lives were different. So even before you've made a choice, there's quite a lot of nuance within the bullet point. Um, in terms of where to, in terms of where to actually start with that one. Um, it's about, you know, and I'm, I'm, I don't want to use huge quantities of, you know, Ofsted language because I think, uh, especially at the moment, it's hugely loaded um, sure. and could, could be provocative for the reasons that I don't intend. But you've got to look at what you want your, what you intend your curriculum to accomplish. So when this, when this curriculum was launched in 2013, 14, mm-hmm. um, the actual intention was, and there's a video that's not been viewed a huge number of times uh, from Alf Wilkinson from the Historical Association, where he talks about the fact that this curriculum has broad bullet points. It's not, it, you know, and then Tim Jenner at last year's Historical Association conference, I think it was, he spoke about the fact that the National Curriculum for History is not a curriculum. We, we construct a curriculum from it. 
which is, you know, it creates a, a vastly different prospect to, you know, just a generic, uh, a generic product, shall we say. I can see, I can see HB is back. HB? I just wanted to draw your minds back to, I think it was 2013, when the Education Secretary at the time, Mr Gove, um, had a really radical vision for history mm. teaching, which by 98%, no, 96% of t- history teachers by the HA, which is that primary teachers would teach um, their wonderful students about all of the past from the Stone Age all the way up to the Union of Parliaments in 1707. And what we would do in secondary school for Keystone Tree, year seven to nine, is we'd teach 1707 to 1989. <laughs> So ten. So that was the, that was a plan, and David started, and Niall Ferguson went and said, "This is a great idea." Is that the primary teachers, the history, many of whom, most of whom are non-specialists, would teach from the Stone Age all the way up to the start of the 18th century. Us secondary teachers, um, most of us who have got history degrees, wouldn't touch any of that, and we pick up in 1707. So when we talk about the primary curriculum being vast, yes, it is vast, but it could have been so much more. I was uh, trying to relic. I was trying to get rid of that from my long-term memory, as uh, I wrote uh, alongside quite a few other primary school teachers a uh, a long letter of, "Are you sure you thought this through?" Um, and yeah, it, it could have been so much worse. It very much could have been so much worse. I've got a vague recollection of the fact there was no world history in the original draft of this either, which oh, uh, set, which set a very interesting precedent of uh, what we as a country, you know, via history education, were choosing to value. Um, it was changed. Uh, I was very pleased to, you know, I love the fact we've got world history front and centre in so many regards now. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one. Yeah. It was it was um, no to world history and yes to Clive of India. <laughs> uh, no comment. Otherwise, we're going down one heck of a tangent already. <laughs> no, no. I think no. I think this is important because it also uh, feeds nicely into a whole other rant that I've definitely had in the past about the whole British values thing and where that fits in and the, this obsession that we have with sort of how well, how wonderful Britain used to be and, you know, lamenting about the empire and all the rest of it. But I feel we're going to go down, as you say, a, a deep, dark rant if we're if we're not careful. And that feeds beautifully back into as well what we were saying about uh, empire, civilization, parliament and peasantry, which, mm. funnily enough, should probably be a, a conservative strap line, but uh, isn't. I mean, not far off at this point, but anywho, moving on <laughs> before we get in any more trouble. So we're sort of... I mean, the idea here, I suppose, is to is to unpack the curriculum, but unpack the teaching of history and things like that, yep. etc. Um, and I found on my um, and you'll discover this about me. I love a research rabbit hole, and I kind of go trawling through the internet to find various things along the way. And I found this document, which I don't know if you've come across. It called "Success with Primary History: Overcoming the Challenges." And this is only one person who's kind of put together their their thoughts on um, on what was written. It's a guy called uh, Tim Lomas who. Um, was I know a, Tim. You know Tim. He is a uh, he is a colleague of uh, of the Historical Association and is wonderful. Yes. So you so you may hear things. So you'll probably hear things you like in this. And uh, so <laughs> interesting for you to comment on it. I'm not going to take you chapter and verse through the whole thing because at risk of boring you. But there are some things I want to pick out here that uh, I think you'll you'll want to want to expand on. 
and the whole premise was to you know how we can make history most worthwhile the most you know and hook children in and make it the best it can possibly be and uh, he sort of talks about saying you know motivating pupils with history because certainly in in my school um, it wasn't always taught as a as a standalone subject we sort of had topics and within that there'd be history elements and that's and it's now been kind of separated out into history and geography to try I mean to try and kind of not separate it but to try and kind of give children the idea that you know, this is this is history over here this is geography over here and actually yes they do you know they can absolutely go hand in hand and do go hand in hand but you know our subjects within their own right and he goes on to talk about infusing children all the rest of it and uh, the fact that they do like sensational uh, uh content like blood dirt and gore but they also want more than that it's not just about i mean i certainly you know you look at things like horrible history which i'm sure you've used i know i've definitely used which does pick out the the worst bits in in every aspect of history and children love that but they also want to look at things like uh uplifting issues and dilemmas and other aspects and how maybe they feel about i don't know certain things that how certain things were dealt with during periods certain periods of time and uh, rather than just talking about who hacked whose head off and things like that <laughs> i can hear you giggling already uh so i mean what, what are your thoughts on on that as an as an initial thing and and they also he also talks about things like you know more field work more uh, investigations and things like that rather than just kind of focusing on you know what we think will entertain them in inverted commas uh, yeah no i think uh, as as ever tim is very much uh, on the money um what's what's really important that we however we choose to enact the curriculum because there is no singular way uh, something that i'm very very keen to you know to push and this is not against our our lovely uh, secondary colleagues and friends is we're not just we're not mini secondary schools and i think it's really important that we don't lose that because we are different not better not worse but different and the reason it matters so much is because we can teach things in a different way because we have our children for theoretically um 90% of the week yeah and that to me is a huge advantage because we can connect the world up um, an analogy I quite like using when I'm either lecturing or working with students in different ways is history has the word story in it for a reason. What do we need for stories to function? We need settings. Therefore, geography and especially physical geography needs to play an almighty role, because if it doesn't, the narrative arcs that we teach in the histories that we cover doesn't doesn't work as well. We also need characters, which is why we teach a lot about the lives of people. Children can look at a person and go, oh, yeah, I've, uh, I've seen a person. I can see myself reflected in that. Or, or I, I understand what it means to be that age. It's just the world in which it happens is very different. Um, so, yeah, it's something I'm really keen that we preserve is the, uh, the primariness. And uh, uh, the brilliant Emma Turner and I have had several conversations uh, about that, shall we say? So just on a side note, in terms of... So picking up on what on what you've said and what I said about having topics in primary school or having um, separate kind of history and geography. So where 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 do you sit on that? Um, I think dex being dexterous is a really important part, um, and the fact that there is not going to be a one a one size fits all model, um, and nor should there be because context is really important. Can a topic-led curriculum be taught really well? Oh, good grief, yeah, I've seen some beautiful ones. However, can it be taught really, really badly where it actually detracts from the learning 
Oh, yeah. I mean, I look back at some of the things I've taught in the past and I can now wince. Just wince at some of the uh, poorly conceived you know, connections we try and make. Um, the thing that I like to say about whenever I look at a curriculum is I'd rather have a conversation. I'd like to get to know that curriculum before I form any kind of opinion or judgment because, and, uh, you know, I'm sure people on Twitter don't form snap judgments about anything, honest. Um, <laughs> but I try, I, I, I'm really, I'm more intrigued by the nuance. The nuance is the absolute key here. Um, for example, I, I worked with a school um, whose key stage two history curriculum was taught in reverse chronological order, which uh, I have to confess, I couldn't quite get my head around. But when I uh, spoke to their assistant head teacher, who was also the curriculum lead, it absolutely blew my head off because it was brilliant. It was utterly, utterly brilliant. Um, and they were using phrases like, because we teach backwards, we don't look, we look at it in a slightly different way. So when we're looking at the idea of change, we'll start to think about, well, what don't we see anymore? Why don't we see that anymore? As opposed to look at this new invention, how does that change things? So it's really clever. And that, to me, is why the more open-ended curriculum is brilliant when you've got a sense of what you want to do with it. But if you don't have that sense of what you want to do with it, you know, what you wish to accomplish, what you, how you're going to in enact your intended plans, that's where problems come in. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Because mm. I have to say, I mean, at, at the moment, because the way my school works is that it's, it's, it's both in that we have topics and we have, but then within that, we have to make sure that there are those history elements, the geography elements and all, and all the rest of it. But we don't have to link it to absolutely everything, because, as you say, some of those links can be incredibly tenuous, particularly when you start to get to things like maths, where there's only, you know, in, in a lot of cases, you can't do anything with that math. Sometimes it just just has to be what, what you need to do at that particular that particular time. But I also, you know, when I look at doing um data and things like that and I look at the kind of the the data points on the trackers that we use and I'm trying to sort of shoehorn things into that I do feel that that can be sort of very limiting in a way when I have these kind of broad and wonderful ideas so it's yeah it can be very difficult to kind of figure out what works and then in an international context although we teach English curriculum it's you know, it's 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 kind of making it relevant to to children living living in Portugal to today. So I'm not going to teach them Tudor history, much as I'd love to, because it's my fa my favorite favorite time in history. Instead, we've looked at at Portuguese explorers and kind of done it sort of that way, and and tried to look at it, tried to take. We took them on a on a on a caravella. We did we did it. You know, we we linked it all up, and I hope did a did an all right an all right job of it. But. Uh, it's I suppose as you say context is everything and and where where those pupils are at any given time but um sometimes I do feel like yeah you're sort of you're reaching a little bit in terms of what works for for your particular children yeah um what what was really interesting and kind of really nice there is um the the real importance of locality and context mm. because it's so easy to just have a generic you know, off-the-shelf product, and there is nothing wrong with the scheme of work. There are some really, really great, you know, really well-conceived ones out there. But as a person who's worked, you know, who who writes schemes of work and has done it for various things, 
the thing you always have to keep in mind is I've never met your children. I've never been to your school. I don't know anything about your school. And it's that kind of idea of, you know, a pick up and play product doesn't quite work because we always have to think carefully about, well, how do we bring this, you know, into that field of view? How do we bring, generate that sense of understanding? Because it's very much history is full of abstract worlds. Oh, exactly. Um, and also, Mike. as you said about that subject knowledge as well, like trying you you have to you have to you have to read up because this was all news to news to me, and without doing that extra reading, I would have absolutely fallen on my face. Yeah, um, I totally agree. I mean, one of my uh, fa- my absolute favourite um, uh, unit of history that we gained in the uh, national curriculum this time is uh, early Islamic. Um, which I adore. I think it's utterly brilliant. It's utterly fascinating. And I knew nothing about it before I uh, planned a unit on it. And, you know, it, that the difficulty is kind of trying to uh, ignore the, you know, the mass-produced uh, stuff that's, that's put together in a rush to meet a need without careful consideration. And it's always a case of reading it and going, does this accomplish what I need it to, what I want it to? Well, funnily enough, it's it's actually a topic that I'm looking to do uh, to do next next term as well. And oh, it's so it, good. It's so good, and linking it into because we don't teach any RE either. No, um, no, uh, it's it's an ongoing argument that I'm having with school. But anyway, um, and uh, but of course, it's it links into being in 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 Portugal and and, and Spain as well because they mm. were part of the Islamic civilization for a period the of time. Yeah, so I can make it relevant and all the rest of it and things like the Silk Road and all the kind of other stuff you can bring into that. So my mind's already already going with that. And I think it's, again, as you say, so important, so brilliant, but not falling into the trap of using. And I'm not going to name any of the websites. We know the ones that we're talking about. Um, They're great at starting off points. And I think like with a lot of these things with with these history topics, it's great as kind of a, a sort of. I mean, I suppose a scaffold, if you like, almost for yourself or kind of looking at what you could do. But you've got to be mindful. And again, with with certain with certain aspects of um, you know, subject knowledge and all the rest of it, that you're not that you're not falling into certain traps, that you're making sure that you are teaching certain aspects in a, in a sensitive manner as, as well. And I think that, you know, we as teachers are mindful of of that but it's there are so many there are so many pitfalls i mean history is not the only subject where this is the case there there this happens uh, across the board but i think it's because my um my partner teacher is not as as au fait with the with sort of the with the islamic faith whereas i've kind of learned a little bit more but there are things i've had to talk to her about and uh so i think that that's that that's an interesting interesting aspect as well yeah, um, it's it's one of those ones where one of my favourite things to do is to it's to open a conversation. Have yeah. you thought about this? Because in terms of um, you know how you said you really enjoy the Tudors, I I not I've no particular uh, love for them in any way, shape, or form. They just <laughs> didn't they just didn't catch my attention. Um, and lots of schools chose to keep them because they did. And when you ask the question of well, why are you teaching the Tudors? Bearing in mind you've got this enormous weighty behemoth of a history curriculum and you're teaching the Tudors, the first, the first and second world war, the Victorians, and you've crushed the whole statutory national curriculum into, you know, year three, four and part of year five, because you wanted to keep those extras. That's the bit where it can so often go wrong because whilst the history curriculum, it's a minimum standard, you can absolutely teach all of those things. 
But the answer is, are your children getting enough time to really get it? Um, one of my favourite quotes is from a Mary Myatt blog. I think it's R.F. Schumacher, but I might be wrong on that one. And he talks about, you know, anybody can make something bigger, more weighty, more violent, more complex. But it takes a stroke of genius to go in the other direction. And, I think, and that's I mean, just, it, yeah. Yeah, go, no, go on, carry on. Sorry. And, well, and that, that's just that, you know, that kind of really key point of, are your children having sufficient time to truly understand the content? Because if we think about, you know, a primary school teacher's bread and butter, and we start, you know, nice and simply with uh, reading, writing, math, if they don't get it at the end of a lesson, would you move on? No. But we are quite often we'll artificially define this topic must run for a half term, even though some of them could probably be done in four weeks and others require far longer. Um, I've had some really brilliant chats with Neil Armand, say, who um, was really thinking about, well, this can be done in four weeks, so let's do it in four weeks and let's you know, give some time to the arts so they're not just a link. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I suspect I, I know the answer to this, so forget, I mean, there is a, I mean, I know they say there's no such thing as a stupid question, but I suppose I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run with it. Do you think uh, that there is a degree of sort of comfort zone thing here? So the reason teachers gravitate towards the Victorians, towards the Tudors, is because with the websites that we've talked, that we've sort of mentioned earlier, and you know that the, you absolutely know that these resources exist because you know you know you can find stuff on the Tudors, you know you can find stuff on the Victorians, you know that these are kind of, and I'm reticent to say safe topics, but go with me. And do you think that that's? I mean, it's not. And again, this is not. I don't think it's a laziness thing. I know some people would think it would think it would be, but I think it's more when you're planning everything else and you know, history is another thing that you have to incorporate. It's kind of, okay, well, let's just do something that we know that we can resource well, not necessarily teach brilliantly, but there's enough stuff that we can kind of get by on it. Do you think that there, that, that plays a role a lot of the time? I, I don't know if I could say it plays a role a lot of the time because I don't have the data. But there is a very strong element of, you know, certain things being taught because they've always done it, if, yeah. if that makes sense. So it's it's just that sense of, you know, the, the Great Fire of London is uh, the last historical association survey data that I saw. Um, it might I don't think it'll have changed, but it might have done. It was uh, 80, 90 percent of schools taught the Great Fire of London in Key Stage 1. Yeah. Out of all the events throughout the entirety of history you could teach you're choosing to teach a 17th century fire in a place that your children, you know, depending on where they are in the country or in either world, have no real context of, as opposed to, I mean, this one's my favourite, the first flight which fundamentally shifted the way we live. And it sets up kind of that technological development. So it's just sometimes it's a case of going, have you thought that through? And I'm not saying you should, and I will always be adamant, I'm not saying you should change it if you have a case to teach it. But if it's just because you want to make heart, uh, houses out of cardboard for a DT project, fill them with straw and then burn them on the playground, even though and there, was oh quite an there was quite an entertaining uh, letter by the Fire Brigade Chiefs Union a while ago saying, can we stop doing this, please? And they listed a whole host of reasons, um, some of which were better than others. But the one that teachers tended to hang on to, which really made me laugh, was you might be, be, you might be educating the next generation of arsonists or pyromaniac. <laughs> I was not aware of this. Oh, I'll, I'll see if I can find hilarious. it. Hilarious. And you've got to include that in show notes because that is outstanding. 
Dan. I will see if I can find it again. Uh, it was a while ago, that sorry. But please don't think, and the person that's busily tweeting certain quotes, please don't put that in our, out of context because it's really important that it's <laughs> one reason out of quite an extensive list. <laughs> HB, you got that. And I can see you've got your hand up again. Go on. I want to make an impassioned defence of the Great Fire oh, of London. Oh, boy, here we go. Go on then, HB. Floor is yours. Well, not that much impassioned. I, I, I'm not, I don't care too much about it. But <laughs> I'm enjoying that you backtracked instantly. Teaching, te- it's, a, it's an interesting thing to teach, and I'm coming at this with an entirely secondary perspective, my secondary brain on. But as a way of teaching evidential understanding and how we can find out about the past, um, there's things from the Great Fire of London and teaching Great Fire of London where we look at things like written sources and you can look at um, other types of sources as well, which is actually really, really useful to teach about. And it's also a way of looking at significance. Now, I'm not saying that it's the only way you can teach significance and it's the only way you can teach about evidential understanding and how the past is created. But I think as a lens to sort of teach about I think it's really really useful in terms of building disciplinary knowledge as well so yes I think there are perhaps better things to teach but there but there is a point behind it I'd like to add when it's taught well I totally agree and that's that's why I kind of open it out as a conversation of do you have a clear sense why that choice and there are many you know there are many good reasons homes being very relatable um, the fact that, you know, you can relate it to something the children will have experience of, you know, seeing the fire brigade, who they may very well have touched upon in the earlier setting as uh, an important person in society. So I'm not, I'm never, ever, sorry, I'll rephrase that. I'm rarely going to say, don't teach something, but I will ask the question of why that over the other choices. And that, that to me is why. Uh, when I did uh, a piece for TeachWire a while ago, um, I looked at the first flight and we were making use of uh, the Wright Brothers diaries, the diagrams, the, the flyer that still remains today. So it's, it's one of those ones where, it, regardless of what's chosen, thinking carefully about why that knowledge matters in its own right is really key, but also how it helps to introduce the children to this wonderful, messy assortment of fragments we call the past. Does that HB? I can see you fist pumping, so I think you're 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 happy with that with that response. Well, at least I I hope so. I think that's that's fair enough. So this this whole idea of you know settings being relevant and all the rest of it, uh, Tim actually touches on this uh, in in his article. One of his other points was, and I think again, Stuart, you've already talked about this, is the the, the people element, and it's. Certainly when you're talking about very young children, I mean, they can barely get their head around sharing, you know, sharing uh, uh, pencils with each other and things like that. You know, the, so getting them to understand people is is quite is quite difficult. And, you know, you have to be able to I think a lot of the time and I've seen this. I mean, I'm not key stage one is not my my area of expertise. I haven't taught in key stage one, but I've sort of sat in on things and I've done bits and pieces. I often find that these characters and I'm going to call them characters because I know we're talking about history in terms of stories and all the rest of it, are, again, taught as these people that existed at a random point in time. And the focus is kind of entirely on on them rather than kind of broadening it out a bit into when they when they live, what affected how they did, why they did the things they did, made the choices that they made. And I just wondered if this is something you, you've seen as well. And again, you know, there are occasions where this is done done brilliantly, but there are also, I think occasions where teachers fall into the trap of becoming so obsessed by the person that it becomes more about them than about the the wider context as well 
Um, yeah, that's why I always see story structures are you know really important. I'm sure lots of people are familiar with you know the uh, the work of uh, Daniel Willingham, the the psychologically privileged status of stories. That might be Doug Lemoff as well. Um, I have to confess that's off the top of my head. Um, but if we think about when we tell a story to young children, the character interacts with its setting. The character goes on some kind of you know journey that will go on to see as that narrative arc. So that's why when in early years, now early years do not teach history. Early years teach about the past. And there is a really important difference between those two things. So when we're talking about them studying the past, they can just have a story read to them and use a very small part of that to start to, you know, just introduce them to things being different in the past. Uh, One of my favourite examples is the story of Cinderella. And if you've got, you know, like an illustrated... um, an illustrated version of that you can just you know stop on one of the pages let's say when cinderella's in the kitchen and say does that look like uh, your kitchen at home children and uh, hopefully if they're paying attention i mean let's be honest you've got to repeat the question four or five times um <laughs> that's early is um but when when you have that com- yeah you, know, you have that conversation going no it's not but then you've sparked their curiosity but you've also sparked that the fact that this image could you know be move on to be a source of evidence later in you know later in school we'd call it a source of evidence, whereas now it's just a picture. Um, and then all you need to do is if you use something like tapestry, seesaw, or just a generic picture, say, right, well, we're going to make some comparisons. How is Cinderella's kitchen different to your kitchen today? And that's a very simple rudimentary introduction to technological change. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I just, it's it's funny because, I mean, again, this shows my lack of experience in, 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 that, in that area, but I just, it wouldn't, it wouldn't even kind of, cross my mindset to ask that when i'm when i'm reading a story but i suppose you know and again this um, is where, yeah. where these stories are great inroads into, into no totally history. i mean i have to confess i'm not an early years teacher i know i don't pretend to be but i know some utterly brilliant ones um the current chair of the historical association primary committee helen crawford uh, is an early years lecturer at uh, the university of northampton and uh, yeah the way they bring it to life is brilliant this is a phrase she used um when i heard her speak a while ago and um, if a child is in the, you know, an area of provision and dresses up as a, you know, a, a king or a queen and struts around the classroom telling everybody what to do, then they know what a monarch is. The way in which it is depicted, the way in which it's interacted with is not what we'd, you know, we'd see further up school. But that child has an understanding. And just you know, by reading a story, we can really introduce some complex ideas. Now, we might not call it those, but we're laying that foundational level. Um, another one that I quite often use to introduce people to this is um, reading a story with a kid, you know, with a king in it, and you know, let's call it a monarch. Let's call that person a monarch and say, right, would you like to learn a, a really fancy word? At worst, they've encountered a new word, but you know, some of those children will develop that meaning early on. And what we do there is say, well, who's got the most power in our story? The monarch has great can you tell me who's got who's got less power oh cinderella does the ugly sisters do oh how do you know you've just taught social hierarchy to four-year-olds it's it's really interesting and actually this this taps into something that i've i've highlighted in this article which says there good teaching avoids simply portraying the people in the past as amusing brutal and inferior it needs to be made three-dimensional with the characters having feelings choices and dilemmas to address and living in a world uh, without our hindsight uh, the end result can be a greater respect and care for past people. Yeah, very, very similar to kind of the, I mean, Tim does tend to put things more eloquently than I do, but never mind. It, it um, just, but yeah, it's, it's a similar yeah. idea. And it's just a, a, a brilliant thought how 
again all these things feed into each other without without you realizing and I think it makes me reflect because a lot of the time you're you're trying to almost overthink and kind of force these sort of thing oh gosh how does this connect how does how can I fit this in how can I do this that and the other and actually you've just given very easily a number of examples where it is just there and actually in just allowing yourself to look into the stories you're reading or whatever it is just a little bit little bit more you can you can take children on that journey that does feed into their learning and does feed into learning yeah. about history it's it's being it's been deliberate that that's the you know to me that's the real key um it's just looking and going you know let's be deliberate um in the recent Ofsted curriculum insight uh, video tim jenner speaks about the idea of you know part of the job of the curriculum is to build readiness for what comes next now to me that is a purpose but it is not the sole purpose um and uh, nor do i think that they were claiming that but you know if we look if you look and then think to yourself well we've got the coronation this summer we're absolutely going to make make sure that the children know what kings and queens are because it's relevant to the world around them and the thing about the early years curriculum is it can absolutely be it can be more reactive uh, than the key stage one and two curriculum it, it is quite often very much child-led because it is a totally different document it's the naught to five curriculum and yeah. it's about you know kind of balance, balancing those things up and going and not dictating to early years it really kind of you know I, I, if um you know as a year six teacher let's say you wouldn't want your local high school teacher coming in and saying you need to do this because it'll make my life easier what we do is we'd look at those crossover points and go if you do this, it will help us a bit later on. But, you know, knowledge has to matter in its own right. I would always argue kind of vehemently for that. No, I think, that, I think that's really, really important as well. Now, something I want to, I want to talk about as well, another thing that, that pops up in, uh, in, in, Tim's, in Tim's article is activities within history lessons that are purposeful and meaningful and avoiding the whole. And I know that, this is a thing that happens across subjects it is again and i'm thinking about the when we do things like victorians and tudors out of ease rather than anything else because we can find the worksheet or the activity and when you're thinking about activities that are more purposeful and are more meaningful again and this is a, one of those questions that i suppose is, is almost too broad for it for its own good but how do you think about you know what what activities you're fitting with what areas of history and how do you think about maybe not just some things do require a worksheet but obviously you don't just want it to be you don't want children's history work to become a uh, one of those cardboard folders of of, of of paper worksheets yeah no i think that's it's is it is it fit for purpose and there's no singular answer to this um however much we might want them to be um one of the things i think is really really important is to look and go Number one, can the child actually engage with what they're being asked to do? As you know, if if we reduce um, you know history to just a series of um, you know, let's say uh, worksheets in isolation, or we pre-print and pre-populate booklets all of the time, it or it could, if it's not implemented carefully and deliberately, take away that joyous occasion of going. That's a really good question that you've asked. We weren't going to look at that, but at the start of next lesson, we might actually start with that because it's purposeful. It's adding huge amounts of context and value. Mm. And I think it's just being really mindful in terms of activities. Um, something that I would always suggest that schools do is ensure they have an awareness of what we call historical enquiry, 
Now, um, to all the history teachers out there, obviously you'll know this, but just if we get any primary, you know, the primary teachers may very well not. When we talk about historical enquiry, it is not um, the same as the early years pedagogy, that kind of discovery-laden approach. Um, and we've focused historically valid questions to really decide upon which knowledge really matters from that story. And until you've kind of really dictated what knowledge matters, it's a much more difficult prospect to think, well, how am I going to convey that? Because if you don't have that clearly in mind, then the activity becomes what leads it, in which case you don't know if it's fit for purpose because you don't have a clearer sense of what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, and I think this is where where maybe some of us uh, lose our way a bit in, the, in this idea that, you know, so fixated on kind of the, the wrong, almost the wrong aspects of what we're teaching that we have to kind of get to get to this point so we can complete this particular task when actually it's, you know, we almost need to relax a bit and kind of allow it to, to flow a bit more. And I suppose that does come with experience. Certainly as a, as a new teacher, it's going to be very hard to let go of the idea that you're, you know, that there is that focal point. But certainly I feel like I've relaxed a lot more in, in my lessons over time when it comes to certain when it comes to things like history. And it does it does wander off all over the place, which is what it's what it's meant to do. But allowing for that to, to happen, I think, does take experience and being and being okay in that situation being okay with that yeah i totally agree and i think wiggle room is a wonderful phrase i think it was emma turner who used that somewhere at some point i've got a vague recollection of it anyway um where and it's this idea of you know leave yourself a bit of wiggle room because if you've populated your curriculum 100 percent of that teaching time i mean i don't know about you but i can't think of any topics in any subject that i taught where it has gone 100 percent right for the whole time not in i mean i'm approaching i think seven or eight years i don't even know at this point and not once <laughs> yeah at, at me either and mine's well, when i qualified we had a labor government so you know it's oh, quite wow. a few shall we say um so if we have that kind of historically valid question that we can keep revisiting keep coming back to it's a really useful stimulus for uh, retrieval practice it's a really useful stimulus to go to make those connections from early years into key stage one and beyond then what it allows us to do is we can just start building on it and thinking really carefully about well what do I want them to know great now how can I convey that one of my favorite things that I love seeing is the different approaches teachers take um some schools may use things like Mantle of the Expert, which is, you know, this a really in, interesting drama, uh, drama set, uh, technique approach. Oh, I probably butchered describing what it is there. But um, in that case, they use kind of uh, narrative, kind of fictional narratives in order to lead and develop some really in-depth and clever, detailed understanding. Now, if that's what they want to do, great. But as part of that, they'd have to really emphasize and focus in on what factual knowledge will our children know? And it's that important distinction between, you know, the subject disciplines, because you might think, well, we need this background or hinterland knowledge, you might hear it called, and we need that in there. Right. So how can we convey that? Well, let's read this non let's read this fictional book. Let's connect that fictional story into our you know factual historical narratives, because that gives um, that sense of period that we mentioned briefly before. Yeah, I mean, I'm just I'm just absorbing what 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 you're saying, and just and just thinking about kind of things things I've taught and I'm and going to teach, and it's just this is what happens. My brain ends up buzzing all over the place. It's good, it's good. Um, I just, yeah, I think it's it's. 
and also knowing what will work within within your within your classes and certainly within the the year fives that that um i have at the moment and my um my lot are a lot more sort of passive and so they're not in you know you ask them to kind of sing a song with you and they they tell you it's cringe whereas the next door class absolutely love it so it's it's just so it's so swings and roundabouts in terms of you know delivering different material and, and how and how kids and how kids respond to it so i'm just yeah i'm uh thinking away as you're as you're talking to me it's yeah i think that's you know um one of the things i will always i, I tend to say during training sessions or um when i'm working with uh, students is i'm showing you an approach but i'm not you your approach needs to work for you and it's that um you know it kind of needs to come across as being genuine because if you've got you know make it work for you then you can really get them in a way that's accomplishable achievable if you know as in the past when i started teaching we were doing these incredibly challenging difficult to plan out um hook days just that launched each topic we'd spend so long on it and we'd spend literally hours putting it together we'd write drama scripts for ourselves to use we'd then think which activities to be to the carousel round etc and it's just thinking about teacher workload and just you know do we have to overcomplicate it do we have to have so many analogies in there or can we just teach it sometimes the best approach is just teach it and you know instructive teaching has a place in the same way as you know what when it's done well discovery learning has a place as well but it's just i think choosing your moment and when you've got something as complex as history which let's be let's just remember here is not agreed upon it's not you know there is no common historical story that every historian goes yep that's exactly what happened in that place in that way and it was that person to blame it just you've got to be really careful and kind of guide them through in you know in a way that works but not trivialize the past yeah and i think for for some children trying to get them to, to understand that well what do you mean they 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 don't agree what what it's it, yeah yeah it's, you see sort of in some cases it's lovely seeing tiny minds blown in some cases for for certain children it is just something that they cannot for whatever reason wrap wrap their head around but but yeah but surely someone's right and someone's wrong. Well, no, not exactly. Um, and that, that's why you've got to be careful when you choose to introduce it and how you choose to frame the question. Um, if children struggle to uh, understand it, I, uh, this tends to be an upper key stage too where we go into it in more depth. Uh, I tend to use the selective attention test video, um, which you may have heard of, um, which is essentially count the basketball passes. Um, and it, the reason it works is because they get so drawn into the fact that they have to do one thing that they miss on the other part. And therefore oh. you say to them, right, so now let's think very carefully about how this relates to that historical story. We've got these two individuals with a totally different view of the world watching something happen. Do you think they'd re- agree on what happened? No, why not? Because that person was, let's go Anglo-Saxon and Vikings, why not? That person there, they saw the raid as a positive thing that they won and it was just them you know, earning a living. Whereas the devoutly Christian Anglo-Saxon monk is not happy that the holy relics have been stolen. He's not happy that his peace-loving brethren have just been brutally murdered or kidnapped. Oh, who's the records? Which records do we have? Oh, it's the Anglo-Saxon one. Is anybody now surprised that the Vikings get a bit of a bad press? It's Yeah, I, I think that that's... Uh... It, that was that was beautifully done, by the way, just off the cuff. Very impressive. <laughs> oh, that's not off the cuff. That's quite a common no, one. That I, it's no, one I that I will draw upon you relatively frequently. 
but also just uh, talking about questioning as well, because there is a, I mean, in terms of the pupils themselves, but also in terms of the, the topic areas you're covering, there's, there's place for all, all kinds of questioning and framing that questioning. And again, I think it's very easy to ask quite closed questions in, in, in history and focus on facts and dates and things like that. It's, it's much harder to come up with those more open questions. And but, I mean, I know you've, you've done it there uh, as, a, as an example, but it's again, as a as a newer teacher, it's it's almost kind of yeah thinking almost reductively about certain things rather than actually opening it out and actually it can be done quite easily if you think about it <laughs> yeah it's uh, that's why I would always start with a kind of your overarching inquiry question because that that dictates what matters and the reason it's important to start with that is because that gives you your kind of grander vision of across this sequence of lessons we're going to keep adding value to that Okay. If you don't, if you don't do that, then it's a much harder prospect to really start to think, how do I get there? You know, the kind of I was planning in reverse of this is the answer we're getting to. Great. How do we get there? If you do it bit by bit, week by week, it's a much more difficult thing to you know, maintain that overall vision. I always think it's interesting to uh, find out what children think they know already or what, you know, the, the ideas, the ideas that they have. And I know it can again, it can to it can go down the danger zone a little bit but sometimes just sort of finding out what what they're already aware of or think that they're aware of can be can be quite quite enlightening in some cases no totally i think that's uh, that's very very true um however we've just got to be very mindful how we handle that because it's quite yeah. difficult to break a misconception yeah oh definitely and if you don't address it you know and let it rise you know let it arise and you know let it develop if you do that unintentionally then it's really, really difficult to then backfill and go, do you know this thing that you've now got embedded in your long-term memory? Yeah, well, that's not actually a thing. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I've definitely fallen into that that trap as well. Oh, me too. Me too. And the, and the other one uh, that I, I just thought of is thinking about research and research skills and, and all the rest of it and trying to introduce uh, pupils to that in the past and getting stuck down the, the route of trying to explain to children that there are more sources to look at than what you can find uh, on the iPad and all the rest of it. Because I suppose, again, the instant uh, way to kind of make, make research easy, if you like, is to say, OK, here's an iPad, you know, let's let's research, let's research this. But actually, there are many, many different ways of doing that. And there's a whole kind of aspect of research skills that even I've kind of been investigating recently and looking at and trying to, to get children to, to understand, which is, of course, so, so important throughout history, throughout all sorts of subjects. But uh, yeah, just interested to know that uh, what what your approach to to that is as well. I, uh, research is difficult, and yeah. it's difficult for a whole host of reasons. So um, difficult. I'm going to. I'll, I, I thought I'll start this with the bits that I now look back at and wince because there's several of these. This is why Giving, I'm asking you because I don't yeah. feel like I'm going to wince that as well. But go on. Oh no! Well, I like. I'll, I'll always. I will quantify exactly why because it might be the case that some pe you know people that listen might think, do you know what? We've uh, we do this in a different way, and that makes it work. And I'd love to know how tweet, you know, how people do it to get it to work. But number one is um, learning log homeworks. I don't know if there is still a thing anyway, which is like a research project over you know several weeks with this broad heading, this broad uh, thing to look into. Let's go with the Romans because uh, I like the Romans. Um, well, let's go with those, and the children would then kind of have no structure. It's too open ended, and to do something that's so open ended, so 
laden with possibility to some children is a wonderful thing to other children is a nightmare yeah the reason it's a nightmare is because they don't know what they're starting from and if you don't have a knowledge base from which to tap into you can't you know you can't really get going anywhere the other thing is if you you know think about that prerequisite knowledge and skill set needed to actually engage with a research lesson you need to actually be fluent in decoding you need to be fluent in understanding within specific contexts but then you also if you misread a word need to be adept enough to go that didn't sound right but if you're encountering this stuff and you're not fluent in it that's not actually going to happen very often so it's it's a really difficult thing to do which is why to be brutally honest i don't actually tend to do it anymore i will always structure it more heavily so the way in which i would approach it now and you know currently do is it's not open-ended it is incredibly carefully structured to show the children how to do it specifically so that if we develop that over time it enables them to kind of branch outwards each time for example in year three what i would do is i would give them um a, a couple of questions you know a couple of questions and we'd look at one source of evidence first i like the bbc teach videos uh, the yeah. story of britain love those and in that particular example what we do is i'd say to them right we're going to watch this. You've seen this, you know, you've seen this video before. So they're very fluent with it. Uh, they've got a sense of fluency with it. And then what we do is we'd watch it and I'd keep, I'd pause it at a predetermined point and say, which question have we just had information for? That one. Great. So now what we're going to do, let's think, what thing can we jot down carefully that we can then use in our answer? So actually, you know, like in math and English, we do, I do, we do, you do. Yeah. Why wouldn't we do that in the foundation subject lessons? Well, this is this, and I think it, it, it's strange to me, and again, something that has come up time and time again on this subject journey that I've done, is that with the subjects that are the ones that teachers tend to find a little bit more, more difficult, or teachers tend to, uh, or some teachers, I should say, or, uh, you know, have questions about teaching, it seems like anything that they'd use for their, for their core subjects, well, why does that suddenly go out, go out the window when you're teaching foundation subjects? As you say, why is it that you can't lift a technique like that's almost directly and say well hey you can you can still use this here that, yeah. that's okay no totally and that's why um in the the book that i've got coming out this summer and i'm not using this as a sales pitch i hope that hasn't come across that way um i actually put in those you know, i'm using generic uh kind of non-history specific research and saying and this is how it influences the way in which i teach mm. and if you find that you know if you find that something works in a specific you know core subject lesson well, why wouldn't you use it with the same children? Because it's probably going to work with them. All you do is you're tweaking the content and thinking, um, you know, how it applies across. Mm -hmm. So no, uh, so no long form homeworks like that. Any anything, anything else? <laughs> well, okay, um, we're going down this path. <laughs> I, in terms of kind of you know thinking really carefully about like research, you know, researching. It's, you have to show them how to do it and then you have to show them how that kind of reading or watching that they've done gets turned into an actual answer in the same i'm going back to the core subjects again in maths and english in english especially we use things like model texts or waggles well if a child has never seen how to turn that piece of knowledge into an answer in the style that a historian might use why would they know how to do it yeah and it's just that, you know, that sense and then, you know, that kind of show them the connections. And if they've got a skill set that they can draw upon, don't presume they'll work it out. Say to them, this looks a bit like a reading lesson, doesn't it? Well, tell me how you do what, what we do in a reading lesson. Oh, great. Guess what you're going to do here? 
you know, yeah. leads them down the path. Yeah, and I think, and I think that sometimes, you know, often you do, you, they're, I mean, I know, and you know that the children, you know, they, they're, they're not daft, they, they, they pick up the things that we, hopefully, a long time that, that we are teaching them, but you do have to be explicit about those connections sometimes because they're, yeah. you know, and, and it's not, it's not their fault that they're not getting there on, on their own. It's, it's, when you're confronted with a completely different subject, why why would they straight away make that connection? But once you've shown them, you know, a couple of times, then there's no reason why in time that down the line they're not going to in you know they're going to or the rather they are going to see see what it is that you're trying to do and then as they go up the school realize, oh actually, you know, this is this is how this connects and this is how this works. And oh look, I can do this and apply this apply this here. So it's you know building that wider skill set, which is obviously so important and a large part of what we do mm. i think this is one of the the last few years have been in, well 2019 onwards with the new framework have been incredibly difficult for english primary school teachers because the expectations of subject knowledge in terms of that substantive factual content and a disciplinary understanding have ramped up hugely and yeah. this is why i think it's really you know it's really important that primary school uh, teachers understand that they've done a heck of a job because not only have they had to do that for history which as we know is the best subject um but also what they've done is they've had to do it for all of the other ones and that's why lots of schools have really shifted the pedagogy towards you know what in some cases looks like a mini secondary model and i can totally understand why but let's just you know let's reflect really carefully and let's think about the beauty that is the primary curriculum as the most joyous learning goes on but it's quite often not in the way you expect it to. And all we need to do is we need to think carefully about now we've got the, this benchmark of we have defined this bit, this bit, and this bit really matter. Well, now let's not lose that. Let's now look and go, well, let's connect that up, shall we? And that's the next step that I think lots of schools are now uh, entering into really deliberately. Um, but if you try and decide your connections before you've decided what teachers, your story structure that is quite a useful thing to bear in mind can fall apart so easily mm -hmm. and you know talking about kind of connecting things up in terms of progression across schools because again i have looked at i mean we have a, a, a curriculum map that we sort of we populate at the start of the year and it bothered me at one point for example that uh year I think it was year three we're doing Egyptians then year four did Romans and then for some reason year five we then were doing uh, ancient Greeks and I was like well this is all wrong the you know the the orders the orders kind of messed up here you know surely it needs to it needs to be you know we we clearly have missed a conversation here where we haven't thought about you know what what order should this should be done in and what what that progression looks like and does that progression have to be mean that you know we have to be teaching chronological order or you know, are we are we missing are we missing a beat here? So in terms of, and again, I realise that these questions are incredibly broad that I am asking you. But when you are looking at progression through school, does that chronology matter? Do you think? Does it matter? Yes. Is it the absolute single determination for a good curriculum? No. And the reason being is, um, I was uh, visiting a school last week that has three classes in the whole school. They physically cannot teach in chronological order it is impossible for them to do that because of the sequence by which their children encounter, you know, the curriculum is hugely varied and dependent on the cohorts can shift over years. So there's also, as far as I'm aware, there is no piece of research that says teaching chronological order in isolation, as in the only part of it makes them understand it better. 
it's more akin to, is it important? Yes, in the same way as when we read a storybook to children, do we just start reading or do we activate that prior knowledge of what they've already learned that's relevant, the previous chapters? Yeah. So in that regard, yes, teaching in chronological order is a useful thing. However, sometimes it's not possible. One thing that I'm a huge believer in also is the fact that, well, a civilization, which is a loaded term, and I'm fully aware of that fact, um, a civilization's complexity in terms of what we study about them is not dictated by how ancient or modern they are. For instance, the Greeks, um, quite a lot of schools teach the Greeks in year three alongside the Stone Age to Iron Age, which is one that I'm not a huge fan of because to really understand the, you know, the, the legacy of the Greeks, you've got to look at language, science, mathematics, theatre, democracy, philosophy, not just mythology and pottery and the Olympics. So it's about you know, kind of thinking very carefully. Number one, does the narrative flow? And then number two, do the children actually have the kind of, you know, are they developmentally advanced enough to get it? And um, the other thing that you can do to kind of mitigate chronology is effective use of timelines. I love timelines. I've spent years thinking far too much about them. It's probably unhealthy, but never mind. Um, we all what's have really, well, I have no comment. Um, what's really important when we think about timelines is do they do the job we need them to? Because if you've just got a sequence of A4 posters, it presents the story of history. But remember, it's not one story. And that's why we've got to think about how we depict them and also when we introduce things. So the school I teach at in Leeds, uh, our year three curriculum is Stone Age, Twine Age, and then the Roman Empire and its impact on Britain. Year four, study the ancient civilizations. That's the overview of Sumer, Shang, Indus, and Egypt, and then Egypt more in depth. But we introduce the Egyptians to them in year three because it's relevant because of the Roman Empire expansion. We teach the Greeks in year five, six, but they're introduced in year three as well because it's relevant. It's relevant because the expansion of the Roman Empire. So even though you might not study it in depth until later on, foreshadow. And then when you get to study it in depth, you'd use callbacks to go, in year three you learn about the, uh, the Romans. Oh, you might spot some similarities here. Can you... Can you point them out? Or you can have a dojo or a team point or whatever system you happen to use. But it's about, you know, kind of, it's about seeing the, curric seeing the history curriculum as that series of stories. Um, you know, if we nick Neil Armand's analogy, um, the one that I think he's made his name on, and rightly so, it's, you know, the history curriculum especially is more like a series of Game of Thrones as opposed to a series of The Simpsons. It's multiple narratives overlapping, intertwining, developing, crossing over. That's how it has to be. And that's why it's difficult for a primary school teacher who theoretically last studied history in year eight. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, I, I, well, it was geography I dropped and I, I took history through and I, I still, I, I mean, I don't, I don't regret that choice. I just regret that I had to give up geography. That's a whole other, whole other chat for another time. But again, I'm sitting here thinking how often I have tried to teach time periods of time in kind of isolated sort of well boxes if you like completely neglecting the idea and this again this is why conversations about curriculum sitting down at the start of the year or sitting down before any of this happens looking uh, through through that uh through the year groups and seeing where where things can connect through and seeing where you can call can call back just as you 
demonstrated that's so so crucial and children do remember things and they do you know i often get stories from children about oh yeah i remember i did this in in year blah and it kind of you know is relevant to this and they absolutely can make make those connections so why we're not kind of fostering in some cases fostering a, a curriculum where they can do that is is almost ridiculous and i can and i'm definitely sitting here feeling guilty of you know, thinking I've taught this in such isolation for such a long time. When, why have I done that? Because that's not how that's not how it works at all. Um, it's really easy to do that. Um, one of uh, a book that I love is David Goodwin and Ollie Caviglioli's. Uh, oh, where's it gone? Um, just, it's on my bookshelf behind me, which is I'm finding the title. Uh, Organize ideas. Um, their book on that. They've got um, one about a timeline as a graphic organizer. What's the difference between a story mountain and a timeline in history? Not a lot. Not a lot. Honestly, I I still I always think you know that I'm never going to have my mind blown on these on these shows. It's gone the wrong way to look at them, but I I mean well, I don't think I'm not going to have my mind blown. But I always sort of I'm always surprised every time I do this to kind of think why have you not made these connections? Because some of these are, are very obvious, and maybe it's just that you kind <laughs> of not thought about things in the right way. But when you've made that story mountain comparison, like. Obviously, Lucy. I mean, that. Why? Why have you not? Why has your brain not kind of done done that before? Well, I mean, to be fair, I didn't make. I didn't realise that until I read the relevant section of that book, and then it was. Oh yeah, it's really obvious. And it's in you know, you know, in the same way as you can't know everything. We all have our mind opened, and our you know mind changed quite a lot. Um, that's just the nature of being you know learning. You know, keeping your mind open to new ideas is a brilliant thing in the same way as I'm utterly open to having my mind changed. Um, I've had many a conversation where I've gone in with an idea and then I've, you know, kind of sat back and listened and gone, yeah, do you know what? Totally agree. And that's just the nature of being, you know, part of a profession, I would argue, in the same way as, you know, in the same way as engaging with the subject community is never a bad thing. The history subject community is incredible. Um, history teachers on Twitter are magnificent. I I learn massive amounts from so many secondary history teachers. But what I hope is that they learn quite a lot from thinking from speaking to primary school teachers as well. Because and I know we're talking about primary history here, but I do think it's really important that it, where possible. And now that um, you know there aren't any COVID restrictions um, in England anymore, and hopefully in many countries, is that. I'd, quite, I'd love it if secondary history teachers actually went and spoke to and went and watched a primary English lesson. And the reason I'd like, I'd like them to go and watch a primary English lesson is, number one, you're seeing a primary school teacher in their comfort zone. And then more importantly, number two, you'll actually see what a year six child is capable of in a subject yeah. that they've had a lot of specialist input in. Because the one, thi- one of the big things that primary, I find that uh, we primary school teachers struggle with is actually the disciplinary side of each subject. Because in theory, you know, what are we teaching? 12 of them? That's 12 subjects with their own unique knowledge bases and their own unique skill sets and, you know, disciplinary, uh, the way in which we acquire that sense of that subject as a discipline. Yeah. The Ofsted's document from a while ago, the, um, oh, what was it called? I've got, I'm probably butchering this title. Was it The Wasted Years? Key Stage 3, The Wasted Years, something like that? Um, yeah, it's, some, it's something to that to that effect. Yeah, I don't know exactly and it's, what you're talking about. Yeah, and it's and, and I don't want to kind of you know to anybody think that I'm giving key stage three a kicking because I'd hate for that to come across that way. That's never my intention. What I'd quite like you know to look at is going, 
the, the you know the key stage three history geography etc going and looking going this is what they're capable of great so how do we add that disciplinary angle to really continue to develop that because that's to me is kind of that you know that that one crossover because if you speak to a child about you know disciplinary writing constructing an argument in history they may ever look at you and you know kind of have a little bit of a cry inside because they have no idea what you're talking about however if you talk to them about how we can you know constructing a paragraph cohesive devices and then say to them you got that great yeah you remember that from year six brilliant this is what it looks like in year seven yeah. it's a tiny tweak but i i just think it would add in such possibility i think it would add huge amounts of just joy for them to go do you mean that stuff i did in private school is useful because <laughs> if we don't te- if we don't continue to teach that connections because let's be honest the end of primary school is rough Oh, yeah. huge amounts of anxiety stress sadness yeah. the, you know for the the world in which they've you know occupied that security blanket that, you know, that safety bubble they've had for all those years is now kind of disappearing they're going off to big school um as it were and it's just that thinking and kind of guiding them through and going actually you know a lot of stuff it's yeah. just going to be a slightly different. And once again, if we start with this is what you did in, you know, this is what you're doing in primary school. Well, in secondary school history, you've actually got a great start point. It's just these little things is how what we'd call it. Yeah, it's and a I small think... tweak. Oh, it is, and the, and just there is so much more positive work that can be done in that transitional phase as as well. That uh, it doesn't need to be the the scary thing that it is. And as you say, it, it's not. When I say so much more work, it's not sort of arduous work. It's actually just making those links and and us as 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 a profession, as primary and secondary, coming together and saying, hey, you know, actually we have more in common than than we realise, and we need to make these kids aware that they can that they can move on to secondary and actually utilise yeah a lot of what they've got already, and that it's that they do have the knowledge base and they do have the skill set, and. Uh, you know, there's a, a great boost that, well, as as we know, there's a great boost that that can come from that. So I think that's a that's very good insight and uh, some food for thought there, particularly as someone who teaches kind of at the at the top end of primaries as well. Yeah, and I think it's just you know, it's it's so easy to resort to kind of you know us and them or the blame game, but actually we've got we've got a heck of a lot we can learn from each other. And you know, yeah, that learning definitely goes both ways. And you know, I think the more we can engage, you know, kind of primary into secondary, secondary into primary, I, I just think it's the better. I, I absolutely agree with you. And I think that's actually a really cheerful note to, to pause on for this evening. I think we could go on and on and on. I think maybe we're going to have to do, do another show at some point to, to come back to this because there's many things that I, I want, to, want to ask you. But uh, I'm also conscious of the fact that, you're, uh, that your voice isn't going to hold up forever. And I want you to, to, go, to go and rest up. And uh, please know that I appreciate you enormously this evening, particularly given, given the circumstances. Oh, you're very welcome. It's, uh, it's been genuinely, it's been lovely to chat and I've only mainlined quite a few uh, sips of water, antiseptic sprays and painkillers. So, you know, it's not been too bad. Yeah, and I don't want you to, 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 to become, you're going to be rattling before before too long. But yeah, you've been absolutely wonderful. And uh, this has been um, very, very interesting for me in terms of connections that I've made in my own brain. So I hope anyone listening in and anyone who listens back um, gets as much out of this evening as, as I have. And that's why, I mean, largely why I do these these shows. Yes, there is a, I'm not going to lie to you, there is a slightly self-indulgent aspect in terms of, the, the, it, I treat it as dream CPD, if you like. And so 
and for every every expert I've talking to talking to I can't even articulate myself anymore spoken to let's try that again it there's been so many things that have sort of opened up along the way and even just that I'm sitting here I'm still kind of blown away by that that story mountain connection because I mean I know we sit there and say that that it that it's you know taken us a while to do that but it's it just makes sense and so I'm going to go away and think about how I can utilize that as well. So I hope if, if nothing else that some other people walk away with uh, with little bits that they can that they can use in, in their own in their own teaching. But just before we before we end our chat, any kind of final thoughts that you want to, to leave us with for, for today in terms of history, history teaching, next steps? Um, yeah, um, a couple of a couple of kind of key things in terms of I'm going to focus in on history for the first one. And then kind of primary history for the second one, if that's okay. Go in terms it. of in terms of history teaching, one of the joys is also one of the difficulties, which is it's not agreed upon. And the reason it's not agreed upon is we as you know, we as humans are not very good objective sources. Um the historian Greg Jenner, who hosts Your Dead to Me, which is a great podcast, he uh, he talks about the difference between the past and history. You know, the past is objectively what happened, history is very much not. Um, and in terms of that, we do need to be mindful, um, you know, kind of uh, just ensuring children understand that level of certainty. So for primary school teachers, I'd say, please stop using the language of proof. And for secondary school teachers, if you don't know what modal verbs are, I'd heartily recommend looking into them because they will make <laughs> your life easier in terms of getting the children to understand that. And then in terms of in terms of kind of primary specific history, simple message that's kind of more of a whole school level than teacher level which is stop trying to teach too much teach less but make sure they get it because you know knowledge is powerful you know knowledge is power is a really popular and important phrase but it's probably more powerful if you actually have a really solid grasping understanding of its context and its meaning and the thought behind it as opposed to here's a list of fa facts that we've blindly learned that's yeah i think they'd be my two i think that that is that is absolutely perfect well Stuart, thank you so so much for your time this evening i hope i do get to, to talk to you again uh, oh, i would love well. to please feel better soon and uh yeah have a have a good rest of the the holidays as well i'm assuming you're you're off at the moment as well uh yes i've got this week off and then i am going to carry on writing my early islamic history unit next week because i'm also doing a session on that for the HA conference, which is in May. So back to it next week. But that's fine. I like what I do. Very intrigued to see, to see what you come up with that, maybe tapping you up for some, for some useful useful information <laughs> as, as well. But thank oh, you again. <laughs> no worries. Thanks very much. Thank you. So that was... Um, I'm always I'm always sort of floored by the end of these sessions, and I don't know why I'm, why I'm surprised by that. But uh, fantastic, fantastic. So, Stuart, thank you so, so much for, for all of that this evening. Plenty, plenty to think about. All that remains for me to update you on this evening is our sponsor, John Cat, who you can see up there at the top of the space. And uh, the particular book this evening that was uh, mentioned was What is History Teaching Now? I've got it right this time, HB. Uh, along with many other titles that are available through John Cat uh, Education, who are a leading provider of educational books and magazines. So please do go and check out all the other things that are there as well. I hope that those of you on Easter holiday are having a lovely time. I think I think that is most of us. So enjoy your time. Rest up. Make sure that you do take a break and that you do, you know, all the things that we all go on about, about well-being and all the rest of it. Still very, very important. 
And um, I'm not going to be with you next week, but I will be back with you the week after. I haven't quite decided what I'm going to be talking about yet, but I will let you know as soon as it comes to mind. It may be that we look at geography next time or, well, I don't know. We'll see. So have a fantastic rest of the time. Oh, well, some Sarah and HB, come on. Don't be like that. <laughs> see, he's gone quiet now. He's gone quiet. Anyway, uh, have a good one, everybody. I'm too busy sending Stuart his hosts pack. Well, okay. Then. Well, if he wants, if he wants to, I'm not no pressure, but we, we it's now live on air. But oh, you know, no. very good. Like that, particularly when his voice is is uh, on the way out. <laughs> Maybe when his voice is better. Subtle HB, well done, good stuff. Right, everybody, be good, and I will speak to you very soon. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.